we're looking at this series, I Know You By Name, and it's all about how do we know God, who God has revealed himself to be, what's he like? In the Old Testament, God gradually revealed himself to his friends, and often he would use a name like Jehovah Jireh, which is the name we're going to look at today, the Lord Provider. El Shaddai, I am the Lord God Almighty, etc., etc. There's loads and loads of different names. But it's really important how God actually introduces himself because it, it kind of provides us with truths about his character and his intentions towards us. And this series is hopefully going to help to raise our faith levels for who he is and what he will do for us. So... Hopefully this works. Oh no, I always do that. Point it at the screen. You've got to point it over here. Yeah, okay. So the names so far. So this is a bit of a... Can anybody remember the first one we did? Apart from Aid. He, thank you. There we go. Jehovah Nissi, Aid. That was the banner. Oh, I meant to say... I did. Never mind, never mind. Well, Pete doesn't make you holy, although he's a lovely bloke. God makes you holy, of course. So, yeah. Mechadishkin. Next one after that was? No. No. I'm glad we bought this test. <laughs> no. It was Chris. Remember that one? The judge had great fun with the gavel and the gown and the wig and everything. Okay. The next one after that was... Give you a clue, it was aid. Yes, exactly. And today, we're going to do that one. So that should come up. That, yeah. <coughs> the Lord will provide. So for me, this is like a kind of... This is a statement of intent. It doesn't say... The Lord can provide. He can. I can drive into Totnes. I will drive into Totnes. There's intent. I can cook the dinner this evening. I will cook the dinner this evening. Yeah? All round to mine. All round here. <laughs> no, that's just to make a point. Come on. Okay. So... <laughs> So do you see where, see where it is? So he will provide. That's the important part. So a sensible starting place is to look at where God introduces himself as Jehovah Jireh. So it's Genesis 22. Oh, this could be interesting. Because God, okay. So it's 22. I'm reading it from the NLT, but it's going to be similar in the... Uh, in the Bibles that you have with you. So 22, 1 to 19. Abraham's faith tested. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. 
he saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further, we will worship there, and we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not withheld your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. So it's a bit of a story, that. The name Jehovah Jireh translates as God sees to it, God will provide. And it's, it's the verse 14 is where we see God introduced as Jehovah Jireh. The reference of Jehovah Jireh is the actual place. Verse 14, Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh. So where are they? Let's have a look at this place. It's called Mount Moriah. Anyway, that might you, yeah, you can't really see that all that well. Anyway, we, if you use eyes of faith, you could see that there's sort of a, a, a road up this way, but that patch, oh, hang on, hang on. Yes, thank you, Barry. This is the mount. And actually, it will make it a little bit easier when we see the other, other slides that come up. 
So Mount, this is, this is the sort of historical bit of it. So this is almost like a bit of a history lesson, and then we'll get back to what it actually means. So Mount Moriah in Old City, Jerusalem, is the site of numerous biblical acts of faith. This is a profoundly sacred area to Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Sitting at the top of Mount Moriah today is the Temple Mount, and it's a 37-acre area of land where the Jewish temple once stood. Several important holy sites are there now. And this is where this act takes place. This is the, the Mount Moriah is where Abraham had taken his son to offer. Okay. Still slightly difficult to see. Um, so, about a thousand years later, at this very location, King David bought the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite and built an altar to the Lord so that a plague may be held back from the people. And that's in 2 Samuel. Oh, we can sort of see that one. Okay, so this is a little bit easier. That's the, that's the mount up here. And there's a, the, the valley that runs along here, Kidron Valley. So there's a few people. Actually, Chris, you've, from Fiona, you've been to the Holy Lands. Have you been? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, I, I mean, it this, this really strikes you when you when you can visibly see the place that this actually took place, like all those thousands of years ago. And it's the truth. This is the truth. Okay, so this is the modern-day layout. After David's death, his son, King Solomon, uh, built a glorious temple on the same site. And Solomon's temple lasted for over 400 years until it was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And then 70 years later, the temple was rebuilt on the same site by Jews who returned to Jerusalem following their Babylon captivity. And then King Herod made a significant addition to the structure, and that became known as Herod's Temple. And it's that temple that Jesus turned over the tables. That he, uh, It's in John 2.15. And then AD 70, the Roman armies led by Titus, son of Emperor, Emperor Vesavian, once again destroyed the temple. That's the history lesson. Anybody know where that is? Yeah, absolutely. So th this is all that remains in present day of the Temple Mount. And this is called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. And it has been a, a destination and a site of prayer for Jews for, for many centuries. Okay, so that's, the, that's that bit done, the history bit. So Jehovah Jireh the God who will provide. I believe that God wants us to look at this passage from different viewpoints, through different eyes. So we're going to look at it through four views, four different perspectives. Okay, perspectives, perspectives. So we're first going to look at it through the eyes of Abraham. Then we're going to have a look at it through the eyes of Isaac, through the eyes of God, and then we'll have a look at it through our eyes and see where we come out. Okay, so through the eyes of Abraham. So this, this passage shows us how Abraham responds in the face of a very personal struggle. To refresh our memory, God called Abraham to come out of his forefather's land and gave him a promise that he will make his descendants a great nation. 
So God singled, singled Abraham out. After waiting for 25 years, and at the age of 100, a miracle happens. Sarah, his wife, conceived and gave birth to Isaac. God's promise was fulfilled, a promised son at last. So Isaac was arguably a miracle, such a blessing, such evidence of God fulfilling his promises. And for me, this shouts of faith. Through the provision of our son for Abraham and Sarah, their faith would have been sky high. And it's that very faith that is tested when God makes that most gut-wrenching request of Abraham. Take your son, yes, Isaac, who you love so much. Go into the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to one of the mountains, on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So how do you think Abraham would have felt? God knew Abraham intimately. He knew how Abraham had the faith to deal with this situation. In the very same way that God knows how each, what we can take, what each one, each and every one of us here, what we can take. The God I know is there on hand to guide us through situations on our own that we might struggle with. You see, Abraham was chosen by God too, uh, Genesis 12 verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So he's saying that to, to Abraham. You see, I think much of Abraham's story is centred around the way that God wants to bless all the families on earth with the gift of faith. Because without faith, where would we be? It's fundamental to our understanding of our relationship with the God of love. If we don't have faith, where, where are we? So there's a verse in here that really, when, you know, when I, I felt the Lord was saying to me, this is the passage that we want to look at, there was a verse in here that really stood out to me and it kept sort of speaking to me. And I want to share it with you. It's verse 5. And it's where Abraham, uh, they've been on their three-day journey and he's felt that the Lord is saying, this is the mountain, Mount Moriah. And he says this to the, the servants that are with him. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship and then we will come straight back. So there's two things here. Note how worship is key, absolutely key to everything. Is the very act of sacrifice the act of worship? The act of Abraham's obedience, is that an act of worship? Or was Abraham suggesting that there would be a set time of worship, maybe through prayer or song? And the second thing is, Abraham says, we will be back. So how come he says, we will be back? He's going up there. There's only two of them going with the sole intention of one being sacrificed, Isaac. And yet Abraham says, we will be back. And I believe that the, the root of this is that the, his faith gave him the confidence. His faith up here will give him such confidence to know that God would provide. 
even when the situation seemed so dire. I believe it was Abraham's faith in God to provide that bolstered him the confidence to be able to say to them, we will be back. So that's the story from the perspective of Abraham. And he's the one that has a really clear vision of what's going on. He has an active role. So let's have a look at Isaac. So I'm not so sure that he has an active role in this. He's got quite a different view. So let's look at this through the eyes of Isaac. I like to think of Isaac as almost an innocent bystander in all of this, because he's probably not got too much clue of what's going on. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for the offering? God will provide the sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. What must he have thought when they reach the summit of the mount and his father ties him up and puts him on the wood, prepared for the fire, draws out his knife and goes to sacrifice him? Would he have had full trust in his father? He might not have seen the knife. He may have simply thought this was symbolic. Was he really going to be sacrificed? I believe that God provides for us, even when we're unaware of what's going on around us. He knows our needs before we know them ourselves. I think we can all sort of, if you like, know times in our life when things might not have been going quite so great, and yet God was honest. I know for a fact for myself, there have been plenty of times that I could say, when I look back now, God must have been looking after me. He must have been providing for me. There was a particular time when I was about, uh, I think it was probably about 13 or 14. And growing up in, um, in East London, Essex borders, in Redbridge, big up the yeah, Redbridge Massive. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so 13, 14-year-old Matt, on his, I think I had a grifter then, but we used to ride out. There was a gang of sort of five or six of us he used to ride around the same two blocks, um, you know, as he did. And we felt like it was the massive world. And we might even go down to Redbridge Roundabout and play around the subways and all the rest of it. Anyway, so one time, and I, and I hasten to add, you know, please don't judge me on this, because it is not particularly nice. But we, we used to go down to Redbridge Underground Station, and this is in the days when smoking was... Really, all the you know, every, pretty much everybody smoked, and you'd have people smoking on the tube. This is before the ban of smoking on tubes. So, we used to go down to the, the tube station and pick up. Why am I sharing this anyway? It's to, it's, to, it's to illustrate the point. We used to pick up fag butts. That had, so, often people would be smoking quickly, like one, and there could be some quite long ones that people have stubbed out quickly and then jumped on a train. And we used to go down, pick them up, and then you know, you'd get four or five of them, whiz back to an alleyway by Castleview Gardens, and we'd, we'd, try, we'd try and roll you know, with a bit of tobacco in, and then say, oh, brilliant, yeah, I'm a fat, great. And it was all a bit naughty. And we were there one summertime on the, the fag run, and um, one of my mates started playing with matches. Oh dear, this, this is, you can see where this is going. 
So somebody flick, doing that thing where you hold the mat on the top and then flick it and it lights and goes, oh yeah, brilliant. And it landed in some dry grass in, in this alleyway. And before you knew it, I think, if I remember rightly, we sort of thought, oh, that's quite <coughs> crazy. And then it suddenly just got out of control. And as opposed to just thinking, let's hit the grass, stamp it out. We left it for a second or two, and then it was out of control. And we ran, as a 13, 14-year-old boy would do. And we all legged it down, we got jump bikes, and we just got out. And I don't know how, but one of the guys who was with us, a bigger arm had come over the fence and grabbed this bloke, grabbed one of the boys. So as the rest of us got to the end of the alleyway, I looked back and could see one of my mates caught by this gentleman whose fence I think it actually was. So you have that split second thing and we, were, we didn't quite know what to do. And I think it wasn't an act of sort of, oh, you know, heroic, I'll go back and... But it was more that I thought, we're definitely going to get found out here. It's going to be easier if we just go back now and take responsibility. So anyway, we did go back. And, and this fire was going by now. So went back and then the police arrived and the fire engine arrived. And they put the fire out. And, you know, what it, was the, it, it wasn't too bad, I think. I, I, like, I like to think anyway. Um, but by then, there were probably two or three police cars and the fire engine, and the, the, the police got hold of two or three of us, was put in the back of a car, one in one car, one in another car, one in another, and we're like, oh, this is not good. So I'm sitting in the back of what used to be called a jam sandwich, you know, those rovers that were police cars. So I'm sitting in the back, and I could just see in the wing mirror of the... Um, the side of it, I was sitting there thinking, oh no, this is going to be really bad. And I could clock in the wing mirror, my dad, <laughs> coming home from work, just wandering down the street, I was like, oh yeah, there's something going on here. And I was thinking, oh no, no, this is horrendous. So my dad's walking past, and he looks in the car, and I could see the shock on his face, thinking, <laughs> so it was absolutely brilliant. He, he went, I could see him chatting, and, and I think I could just about hear. And my dad always used to like to elevate people, so he, I, I'm pretty sure he called this regular Bobby, he, you know, chief superintendent, <laughs> or something like that, you know, he's, he's really sort of... A, and, and somehow he managed to say to them that he would take this matter in hand. I don't know how, it's the Lord... But he, they opened the door, he got me out, he got Mark Cohen, good Jewish boy, who was the other one in the other car, who later was actually a policeman and worked his way up off of Nick. But um, he, he, he got hold of my hand, got me out of the car, and he said, right, you with me. And he said, I'll take care of this. And we walked, and he got, had Mark with him as well, and he walked us off. I don't know how he managed to do it, to say that we wouldn't get into more trouble. I, I still, to this day... So we walked up, he said to Mark, right, there's your house, go home. And he walked up the street with me, he said absolutely nothing. We got home to the door and all he said to me was, don't tell your mother. <laughs> I didn't know the Lord then, I was ignorant. But he was looking after me that day. Because that situation could have ended 
extremely badly for me. That could have been a, a life-changing moment. Abraham, don't lay a hand on that boy. Okay. So let's look at this view through the eyes of God. So God has chosen Abraham because of this in, in Genesis 18. So Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. You see, God provided. He provided a ram caught by its thorns in the thicket. Fast forward, Old Testament. Fast forward to New Testament, where we have a similar situation. It is similar, but it's not the same. You see, Abraham and Isaac are flesh and bone. Abraham, when he's speaking with God about Sodom earlier in chapter 18 in Genesis, he speaks of himself as dust and ashes but the new testament reflection of this act is very different john 3:16 a verse that we know for god loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes that's us in him will not perish but have eternal life this provision of jesus the son of god made flesh and descending to earth to be sacrificed that we may be unburdened of our sins, that we may have our debt paid in full. Amen? This is the joy of the new covenant deal, provided by the God of love. So there's no more need for sacrifice. It's all been paid by Jesus. I described Isaac earlier as an innocent bystander. Jesus is most certainly innocent, He's free of sin. He's the unblemished lamb. But he's no bystander. No. Far from it. He is the centre of all creation. He is, John 14 verse 6 tells us that he is the way, the truth and the life. I thought this was nice. The Lord will see us through in the way of holiness if we are only, if we are only willing to be in it and dare to follow wheresoever he leads the way Amen. if we dare okay so this is probably I think this is the bit for me that, that speaks so trying to look at it through our eyes let's look at this, this uh, section of scripture through our eyes when we think of provision it's quite uh, almost like a knee jerk reaction to think of or for me anyway of material things so you know you might pull up or I say you we I might pull up you know the lights and there'd be a lovely Porsche next to you and you'd think you'd find yourself for a second just thinking oh that's a nice colour actually yeah and I'd probably get it in the red leather I think would be so you know. <laughs> I'm a human I'm weak alright and then I might think hey come on get back with the programme but there might be valid prayer requests 
Okay? That's not wrong. And, but the key is that it's his. It's in his hands, not ours. Yeah? He knows what's best. And he knows what and how to provide. I believe that God wants to bless us through faith. Just look at the faith of Abraham. And I think it's faith that is key to this part of the scripture. You may want to have a Holy Spirit raising of your faith levels. Faith levels like Abraham. You may want to ask the Lord for provision in a physical way. Job, bills, relationship, moving house, anything. The Lord wants to provide for you. You may simply want to come and give thanks for the way that the Lord has provided for you and the way that you've witnessed it in your life. So shall we worship? Shall we pray? And just enjoy the presence of the Lord.